Of UEFA's domestic competitions, the Intertoto Cup was arguably the runt of the litter. An eclectic summer tournament of Europe's mid-table also-rans, the competition offered a golden ticket into the second qualifying round of the UEFA Cup. With so much at stake, it's no wonder Channel 5 were determined to snap it up. With an ever-changing format and peculiar charge to make not one but 11 teams the champion, the Intertoto Cup baffled until its swan song in 2008. Now the stuff of folklore for Newcastle, Villa and Bradford fans and the stimulus for an 11 of nostalgic names that we present today. Arthur, welcome. Hello, Ben. I just can't help but feel the Intertoto Cup is just the most bizarre competition out there. It just brings a smile to my face. And to describe it as giving a golden ticket, I mean, it, it just doesn't seem worthy of being able to grant that the the uh to the second qualifying round of the uefa cup yeah i I feel like it's one of those tournaments that football fans have to enjoy because it's during that lull in the summer months when football league football's dead and suddenly you're faced with this channel five game between newcastle and toulouse and you find yourself pointlessly watching it perhaps in a hotel on holiday and it's that kind of tournament utterly bizarre totally nostalgic and slap bang in the middle of what we call our our home ground really the late 90s and the early noughties Exactly. And that's why we think it will make a great 11 for your delectation today. We do compile these 11s. Today is the Intertoto Cup 11. Players who perhaps have made their name in this tournament, enjoyed the tournament particularly, or clubs even that we think just smack of Intertoto Cup. Um, We're playing a 4-1-2-1-2 today, which I think was chosen by you, Ben, an utterly bizarre formation in keeping with the cup. Yeah, 100%. I think the diamond, an attacking formation, a chance to try something in pre-season just felt right. Uh, And if you've got any player names that you want to suggest, go over to Twitter at 11pod. We'd love to hear from you. A custodian for this great team, Ben. Who have you gone for? Yeah, I've gone for Jose Manuel Pinto. (laughs) <laughs> was he the one who had dreadlocks yes that's cornrows it. cornrows maybe. yeah the kind of braided long hairdo he was yes. um, you probably remember him from being a barcelona reserve keeper if anything um he was six foot one spanish known by many for his outlandish and exuberant long hair as you say and he played for barcelona between 2007 and 2014 making just 87 games in that time, over half of which were in cup competitions. But what it meant was his silverware comprises of three La Liga titles, two Copa del Reyes and two Champions Leagues. Jose Manuel Pinto, he's uh, he's seen it all. Um, But I was interested to know that he wasn't just one of these stereotypical reserve goalkeepers throughout his career. Prior to his time at Barcelona, he was a successful goalkeeper in his own right at Celta Vigo. He played 224 games over 10 seasons. uh, And in 2006, he won the Ricardo Zamora Trophy, awarded to the La Liga goalkeeper with the lowest goals conceded to game ratio. So he conceded just 29 goals that season in 37 games, which is pretty impressive. Uh, He capped in that side, but I feel like his main moment really came in the Intertoto Cup because it was a piece of silverware where, unlike the Champions Leagues where he was on the bench, he actually played a major role in Celta Vigo's triumph. This came in the year 2000. He played 90 minutes in all six matches as Celta Vigo were one of three winners that year alongside Udinese and Stuttgart. Um, And that included a 5-1 aggregate victory over Macedonian side Palista Bitola. Very into Toto, that that result. Uh, An impressive clean sheet against the hotly tipped Aston Villa side with Dion Doblin up front. 
Uh, and then a tense final. It finished 4-3 on aggregate against Zenit St. Petersburg, uh, with Benny McCarthy being the star, really, for Celta Vigo in that tournament. Uh, but two clean sheets along the, uh, along the way meant that Pinto was also highly regarded for his part in getting Celta Vigo into the qualifying rounds for the UEFA Cup, Arthur. They feel like a very intertoto team as well, mm. Celta Vigo. Not a team that's renowned for deep runs into European competition. And so in many ways, it's a competition that is perfect for the likes of Celta Vigo. Stuttgart as well, I feel, is a, is a pretty intertoto team. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I completely agree. A player who wasn't starting for a very, very big club and was able to make his mark in the sort of second rung European competition. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, this this cup, the Intertoto Cup, was the realm, really, like I said in the intro, of those also rounds of, of mid-table in their domestic uh, competitions. I mean, the early rounds feature teams from all over Europe, Lithuania, Slovenia, Slovakia, to name a few. But Celta Vigo are very much your kind of stereotypical finalist. Um, in the competition and Jose Manuel Pinto played a massive part of um, of Celta's triumph. He, he was a character on and off the pitch. On the pitch, he was known for his penalty antics where he'd dance along his line to try and put the striker off. And he once whistled to stop an FC Copenhagen attacker from running in on goal. He thought it was offside and decided to turn around <laughs> and play the ball back to the opposition. So um, that's ingenious. That was crafty. <laughs> Off the pitch, he was Lionel Messi's best friend at Barcelona. And if you, if the rumours are to be believed, Lionel Messi even threatened to leave once if they didn't offer Jose Manuel Pinto a new contract. <laughs> when he decided to hang up his boots or gloves, I suppose, in his case, he had a hip-hop alter ego called Wahim, under which he released several songs online on YouTube. And he's now retrained as a Zumba instructor. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, Intertoto on the pitch and Intertoto off the pitch. He was zany. And I just felt like he fit this 11 of players who don't quite break into that mould of the Champions League or UEFA Cup elite. Absolutely. He's definitely got the look of a Zumba instructor about him, I think. Those cornrows, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's cracking let's see who's at left back yeah left back is a player from one of those niche nations that you mentioned not actually one of the, the three that you name dropped but in fact Romania ah. it's Alan Rus <laughs> I, I haven't heard of him I've got to say I'm I'm so unsurprised you haven't heard of him <laughs> I just felt given the competition is dubbed by many as the cup of the cupless. Okay. I think it's essential that we have a few players who hail from teams that just don't win things. Yes. Um, Alan Russ was the left back for Gloria Bistrita, who are <laughs> a Romanian side who've never won the Romanian top division. They've played two games in the UEFA Cup in their history and won neither. Uh, and are now defunct. So they feel, wow. they feel just very appropriate. And Alan Russ was the staple of their defence, really. He played 150 times for them across two separate stints and made 16 appearances in the Intertoto Cup, uh, which is otherwise known, I think, in Europe as the UI Cup. So I might yes. interchange those two a few times on today's episode. Intertoto was where Gloria could mix it with the big boys. They played seven seasons in the Intertoto Cup. In 2005, Gloria earned their best European result ever against Olympiakos Nicosia. They won 5-0 in Cyprus, which is their best away European victory, and 11-0 in Bistrita, which is their best home European victory. So 16-0 in two legs in a match that I don't think they were even suspected, expected to win. So yeah. that was incredible. Three different players scored hat-tricks in that second leg, which I also quite enjoyed. In 2007, they beat Maccabi Haifa on their way to the final of the Intertoto Cup before beating Atletico Madrid 2-1 in the first leg. Uh, unfortunately, they lost the second leg 1-0 and the tie, therefore, in away games. But it was a hugely proud moment in that club's history. For his part, Rus 
ended up emigrating to England and becoming a taxi driver in Yeovil. Uh, <laughs> so at, 30, at 36, he turned out for local part-time outfit Gillingham Town after a DVD of his performance <laughs> didn't impress Yeovil Town enough. He thought he was just a little bit too old, I think. Oh uh, and there's a photo of him leaning out of, the, of a car window in a kind of transfer deadline day style uh, picture. By the way, this must be mentioned. It's Gillingham Town, not Gillingham. Um, this is actually yeah. quite near where my parents live. It's in it's sort of Dorset kind of area. If you are someone who's spent your entire career playing in Romanian football, even representing your club in a UEFA competition, to make that call to move to England is bold. But then to move to Yeovil... <laughs> It's so random. He seems a very humble man. He actually said of his time uh, at Gillingham Town, I debuted for Gillingham Town in November. It's not the same standard, but I'm happy to play again. Gillingham is a good team with good people. I liked it a lot. I played against Mutu, Popescu, Lupescu. They were all good players, but Gillingham also has good players and the manager's a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) I think he seems a very sort of down-to-earth, humble guy who clearly achieved a fair amount of success in Romania. Um, but, you know, um, perhaps the step up in England was a little bit uh, too much, especially at the age of 36. He was pretty much retired by that point. Um, but seems like a player who produced his best performances in the Intertoto Cup. And I think he's worthy, therefore, of a nod. Definitely. I love that. I, I couldn't help but notice as well that former Coventry City player VRL Moldovan was also on the uh, Glory of the Streeter alumni. So um, they've obviously produced some decent, decent players from that Romanian outfit. And at the centre of defence, Ben, who have you gone for? Radoslav Kovac. No, I don't think I know that name. Do he I was, know that um, name? Yeah, he's a former West Ham player. Um, oh, blonde hair, very tall. Um, capable of playing in CDM as well, central defensive midfield. He was swashbuckling and imposing, but perhaps not the most <laughs> technically gifted player. You absolutely love the word swashbuckling. I really to do. Players. He's a, he's a pirate of a player, Radoslav Kovac. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I couldn't help but feel when I was doing my research about the Intertoto Cup that the Czech Republic have done really well when you consider that their league is perhaps not one of the most glamorous in Europe. And one team that have really represented them proudly are Sigma Olomouc. Uh, And it's for that spell that I wanted to include Kovac. Um, It was right at the beginning of his career. He was 20 years old and he formed part of a back five for the Czech side uh, in a surprise run back in 2000. Unlike Celta Vigo that year, Sigma entered in round one, giving them four more matches to navigate. They beat Arax Ararat of Armenia before overturning a two-goal deficit to win 8-2 against Velbazd of Bulgaria. And if you're listening to these team names thinking, I've literally never heard of these places, it is interesting to go and look at the lowest ever attendances at any of the matches in the Intertoto Cup. Arthur, can you guess what the lowest attendance is at an Intertoto Cup match? 44. It's actually 43. (laughs) (laughs) Were you there? Yes, I was one of the... I I didn't count myself. Oh, that's it. (laughs) Fair enough. But it is remarkable how sort of low down the hierarchy of football this goes. Kovac was playing alongside Thomas Ufalusi, who was another successful Czech international and would go on to play for Atletico Madrid. And they were striking up quite a partnership. That partnership would help them get past Slaven Balupo of Croatia in the next round. And then fellow countryman Shumel Bulsani um, to set up a match in the final. Now, it's not the hardest route to the Instoto Cup final, it must be said. But never mind, Sigma Olomouc have got there and they would play Udinese in one of the most incredible matches over two legs that the competition has ever seen. Kovac scored in an open 2-2 draw in the Czech Republic. And then with two minutes of the second leg to go, um, it was a hard-fought match. Kovac had already been booked and Olomouc were 1-0 up. Only for three goals in three minutes to spark the game into life, 
Udinese scoring in the 88th minute, Olomouc taking back the lead in the 90th and Udinese drawing level in the 91st minute. That set up extra time and with tiring legs, a brave Olomouc side didn't quite have enough, eventually losing that second leg 4-2. But I think to get all the way to the final, that was a really great achievement from the Czech side. And Kovac's displays in particular were, were picked out by many and Herald did, and he'd eventually earn a move to the well, who was then the Czech Republic's biggest side, Sparta Prague. He played for Spartak Moscow, he played for Basel, and then moved to West Ham in 2009. And I mentioned earlier that he got booked somewhat randomly. Uh, he had a bit of a reputation, Radislav Kovac, for often being in the referee's notebook. Uh, he earned four yellow cards, actually, in that Intertoto run in very few games. But that wasn't the weirdest booking of his career, that came in 2008, where Kovac was booked for kicking a pitch invader. It was in a match between Spartak Moscow and Lokomotiv Moscow. Kovac was so annoyed that a shirtless male had dashed past him when they were losing the game that he ran up to him and kicked him on the ankles, forcibly helping to remove him from the pitch. And when he got back on, he got a round of applause from the rest of the crowd and a yellow card from the referee. Seems quite harsh. I don't think, I think that's an off pitch incident. You can't book someone for that. I think in, in many ways it's crowd control. He should get an, a, a wage rise or something. Yeah. Fascinating to hear about Radislav Kovac's career. I do recommend you re remember him, Arthur. He's a, he's a cracking name. I'll, I'll seek out his autobiography when I, when I yeah, can. Do, do. It'll be a good read, I imagine. Indeed. Um, alongside Radislav. Alan Goma. <laughs> Fulham. What a player. Fulham yeah. indeed. He actually started his career with Ozer as a promising youngster, uh, getting his first ta- taste of European football actually in the UEFA Cup uh, before acclimatising to Intertoto football with them in 1997. Ozer would win the Cup along with two other French sides, Lyon and Bastia. And he'd get his first taste of English football with Newcastle moving there in 1999 and proving successful before falling out with the management and being sold to Fulham. And you're quite right, it's Fulham that I'd like to pick up on. He was signed by his compatriot, Jean Tigana, in 2001, when Fulham were cruising through the first division. He was, at the time, the club's record transfer fee, £4 million paid for him. He was a solid and tough centre-back. And he became a very important player in Fulham's first season back in the Premier League. He played more than 100 games for the club, um, but his first two seasons were by far the best as his game time started to to eventually decline under Chris Coleman. The 2002 season in particular started in just the right way. He was reunited with his one true love, the Intertoto Cup, And he played in every game as Fulham stormed to the title. Um, They were co-winner that year alongside Malaga and Stuttgart. Can you storm to the Intertoto Cup title? That feels You absolutely can. It's a prestigious event. I feel like you're ridiculing it there. I don't know whether you can storm anywhere in (laughs) pre-season. This is true. I suppose that's what makes it quite a weird competition, that it is Mm. pre-season. And you have so many pre-season tournaments that all these clubs play in most commonly in um, the Far East or America yeah. or whatever. And it's all for nothing. And teams play 45 minutes with their first choice, 45 minutes with the youth players or something like that. All the matches are like half an hour each or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. But anyway, they did <laughs> storm to the title. And in the final, um, Junichi Inamoto, who was a very close second place for me in one of the positions um, today he starred he scored four goals in the two legs including a hat trick in the second leg so goma had two intertoto campaigns two victories um so he was absolutely a player at home in this pointless competition pointless you could say because on wikipedia which is pretty much the source of all of our information on this podcast <laughs> the intertoto cup's not even listed on his honors list for oh Ozark. no Oh, no. So Wikipedia needs to be updated. He won it twice, not once. 
There's also a, a bit of an urban legend at the time uh, that's told by Mark Maunders, who was Fulham player liaison officer. He said Goma called him and said, Mark, Mark, I've got a big problem. Can you come and help me? So I rushed straight over to see him. And there he was pointing at the fishbowl. You've got to help me, he says. It's my goldfish. They're swimming in the wrong direction. <laughs> I told him I was too busy taking Mike Taylor's terrapin for a walk to solve his problem. <laughs> it's, this, it's this utterly bizarre story that he's actually gone on to claim was, in fact, a joke. So basically, oh. there was another player liaison officer with him. And she said, wouldn't it be funny if you did this? So he, he said this story, but it stuck with him. So this poor bloke had this story that clung on to him about how he thought goldfish swam in any one direction. <laughs> That's um, so good. Gomer actually left the world of football after retirement. He now works in real estate, which Ooh. is interesting. Um, but he's still based in London and he's a season ticket holder at Craven Cottage, clearly a a huge Fulham fan and perhaps most of his affinity with those fans comes from that glorious Intertoto <laughs> Cup run of 2002. The famous win. I love that. And rounding off our back four is Guy Demel. Guy. Guy. Um, my second, Guy. second nomination of someone called Guy in as many weeks. It's craziness. <laughs> Um, this is a six foot two Amazonian right back, a figure of admiration and love by his fans, um, but not necessarily the best defender the Premier League has ever seen. The Ivorian played for West Ham for four years. He was first choice for two of those years, but eventually he was surpassed by Carl Jenkinson. Of course he was. <laughs> wow. But let's not be too unkind. This is a two time Intertoto Cup champion we're talking about. In 2005, Demel scored against FK Pobeda of Macedonia and featured in five games as Hamburg won their first Intertoto Cup. And this included a run of five consecutive clean sheets in a defence alongside Daniel Van Boyten, Khalid Boularouz and Timothy Atuba. That's kind of like listing some of the most disappointing Premier League defenders of all time, <laughs> isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, but I think at that point of their career, they're all quite hotly tipped to do well. Uh, he also featured in the third round of the 2007 tournament for Hamburg uh, and an aggregate win over Dacia of Moldova. Uh, and that's that a car. It is. I believe they, they make cars. <laughs> Um, so and football yeah, clubs and, and football clubs. So that's fantastic, isn't it? Uh, and Hamburg did go on to win that tournament. It doesn't look like Demel played in any further matches, but I like to think that if they hadn't have had such a strong defence against Dacia of Moldova, um, perhaps really they wouldn't have gone on to win that crown. So fair play to Guy. The winners of that 2007 tournament, I mentioned that UEFA were always changing the rules. In this particular year, there were 10 winners and all 10 of those winners went into the second qualifying round of the UEFA Cup. But there was also an official winner because Intertoto waited until the UEFA Cup finished the following May to decide who the overall winner was because it was the team that had entered the UEFA Cup and gone the furthest having entered via the Intertoto Cup. Are you following that? That's the most confusing no. thing of all time. <laughs> I think I think to base the winner of your own competition on yeah. their performance in and ultimately not winning another, another competition. competition. <laughs> yeah. That's so weird. Anyway, it was Hamburg. So Guy Debel actually was an official winner of the Intertoto Cup that oh. year, as well as just one of the many winners, as he was in 2005. Anyway, enough from me. A friend of ours, Simon Dewhurst, has a particular fondness for Guy Demel's time at West Ham. So I asked him for his thoughts. Well, what can I say about Guy Demel that has not already been said? Yes, he might have played 76 games and only scored one goal from two yards out. But it doesn't matter. The fans loved him. He became a legend on the terraces at the bowling ground. And then you think, I wonder what happened to him after his career ended? Well, I'll tell you. He became a bit of a proficient artist, did Guy. And not only that, he also became an esports expert. And that's what he does now, guiding. 
the future esporters of this world to success on the likes of Call of Duty and FIFA. What a man. You could say what a guy, but the pun doesn't quite work as it's pronounced gee. But still, an Intertoto Cup legend, Guy DeMille, I love you. Jimenez. Oh, yes! Jimenez is freaking met by Kovac. West Ham do have that second. That should win it now. Well, we hope you enjoyed the defence at 11 pod. That's the word and not the number on Twitter. If you didn't, let us know who should have been in there instead. We're going to take a short break from the 11 just for now. And you may have noticed that Arthur and I are messing around a bit with the Intertoto Cup because it's not the most serious competition of all time, is it, really? It feels right for this podcast, but it is a little bit of a joke. Um, So we tasked ourselves to do some more research and find another two competitions who are perhaps going to rival the Intertoto Cup for being the most pointless cup competitions in professional football. Arthur, what have you got for me? The floor is mine. And I've gone for the Watney Cup. Okay. You heard of that? No, no, I haven't. No, I don't, again, I don't think many will have. Uh, <laughs> it was it was created in the summer of 1970. It was the Watney Man Invitational Cup, but it was known simply as the Watney Cup. It was actually the very first domestic cup competition to bear the name of a sponsor. Watney right. Man being a beer producer. Okay, and it ran for only four years. Um, held before the start of the season, also a, a pre-season rival for the Intertoto Cup yeah. uh, and featured the two clubs from each of the four divisions that had scored the most goals the previous season who had not been promoted or qualified for European football. <laughs> so, <laughs> so essentially, it's top scorers, but you can't have achieved any success with those top scoring. You need a maths degree to work out who qualifies for that tournament. So what was it? Was it teams we have heard of? Yeah, Man United played in it. Derby County were the first winners of the cup. They beat Man United in the final 4-1. It was notable, actually, in that it was Brian Clough's first trophy as a manager. And he actually always stressed the importance of his Derby side's triumph in 1970 as it turned his players into winners and it helped them believe they could challenge for trophies. So it had a big part to play in the birth of the career of Brian Clough. And obviously he's a phenomenally successful manager. 1970, that first year, was also the year when Man United reached the final following a penalty shootout win over Hull City. That was the first penalty shootout on these shores Uh, So George Best became the first player to take a shootout kick and Dennis Law became the first player to miss one. So it it gave some very exciting games. It was created essentially to provide a big opportunity for cup sets, um, I'd say. Fourth Division, Colchester United beat First Division, West Brom to win the trophy in 1971. They actually also introduced another rule Uh, which was the offside rule was adapted, whereby you could only be flagged offside beyond the edge of the penalty area. And so a lot of the time, balls over the top were met by strikers who were quite some way offside by regular rulings, but not offside in in this format. And so it was all fostered to create these high-scoring games. Um, But sadly, 1973 was the last time it was held. They had declining attendances I think people thought it was quite exciting at first but then they just lost interest over time I like the concept in it but it's a very very weird competition it is a weird competition I suppose I I get the fact they want more goals or as more uh, you know as many goals as possible but I mean making the requirements to enter so stringent feels like it's but (laughs) quite a barrier in the way um no interesting the Watney Cup I would like to put forward the Kirin Cup. Isn't that a type of cycle race? <laughs> I, I think, oh yeah, the Kirin. You're right. This, yeah. is, this is Kirin, as in the brewery company from Japan, who organised a football tournament between 1978 and 2016. 
So it actually lasted wow. quite a long time. I want to take you to a particular moment uh, when your friend comes around to play FIFA, Arthur, and he decides he wants to play as Real Madrid. But you've already selected your team and you are France. And then you have that sort of awkward conversation where it's club versus national team. Is that right? Is that normal? It's a bit weird, but it's FIFA. So who really cares? But that would never happen in real life, right? No. Well, actually, you're wrong because the Kirin <laughs> Cup was the only cup competition I seem to be able to find where domestic teams would actually play national teams. No. Yeah. Uh, it was a series oh. of um, competitive, friendly matches in a round-robin format. Uh, Japan were in it every year, but they used to invite various club sides to play them and also some of the countries that they were best associated with. So it brought around matches like 1985's two-all draw between Japan and West Ham. 1986 <laughs> saw Werder Bremen draw 1-1 with the Algeria B team. Which is a match that yeah, <laughs> I feel everyone must have been wanting a ticket for. And in 1991, a surprisingly close game saw Thailand fall down 2-1 to Tottenham. Um, oh so I, there is actually a, a match on YouTube, which you can look at the highlights from if you don't believe me. That one's Japan 4, Tottenham 0. Um, Tottenham wow. getting absolutely schooled by the Japanese in a distinctive red kit. But yeah, I mean, from 1992 onwards, they changed it to just be international teams and almost every single year it was won by Japan. So it was still quite pointless. <laughs> but I just love the novelty of pitting domestic sides against national sides. One year in particular I want to pick out as well, because I don't know whether this has happened in a competition since. The 2011 Kirin Cup was a three-team round-robin tournament in June and the three teams were Japan, the Czech Republic, and Peru. And all three matches finished nil-nil. <laughs> so that in the whole tournament, there wasn't a single goal. <laughs> what a great cup. Oh, my gosh. I'm so annoyed this doesn't exist anymore. Or at least in my lifetime, it's not been nations versus club sides i i would love to see that happen yeah. i think it'd be enormously entertaining especially if you've got the biggest sides in the world so you have romelu lukaku wrestling on whether to play for chelsea or belgium it's yeah quite, it's quite it, a, a conflict for the players involved it, it really is um but yeah I, welcome back let's get the curing cup going guys let's let's see if we can start it again yes do get in touch on twitter with hashtag care in <laughs> Okay, returning to the 11, thanks for joining us so far. Every week we have a position which is up for grabs, as we call it, and we get um, nominations in from journalists or sports personalities or people on Twitter um, who suggest players for our 11. And it's going to be all around the central defensive midfielder today. So we're going to hold that back and we're going to skip straight forward to the left side of the midfield. And Arthur, that's you today. Well, not literally yes, you. I mean, but, I, I wouldn't be a particularly good or effective presence on the left midfield, but yeah. Lee Hendry would be. Oh, that f do you know what? That feels really into Toto for some reason. I can imagine it, watching him on Channel 5 in the summer. It absolutely does. Of course, it, was it on Channel 5? Yeah, it does it feel was. like a very Channel 5 competition. It was, yeah, 100%. <laughs> Brilliant. I think although they've tasted European Cup success, I think in 1982, in more recent history, Aston Villa feel very into Toto Cup as well. Yeah. Therefore, I wanted to include a man who helped them on their way to winning the UEFA into Toto Cup in 2001. PSG and Troy were co-winners that year and they beat FC Basel in the final. He experienced three UI Cup campaigns, a losing semi-finalist in 2000 and 2002, bookending his win in 2001. So he was very successful in the tournament, as mm. were Aston Villa. I think in many ways they found themselves a bit of a giant in this competition when in England they weren't 
that bigger side. They were sort of regularly top 10 in the league. Crucial to that win was Lee Hendry. He scored a brace as Aston Villa overturned a 2-1 first leg defeat in round one versus Croatian giants Slaven Belupo, who you mentioned earlier. Yes. <laughs> Uh, as a player he was an excellent talent in the late 90s and early noughties he was key to Aston Villa under Brian Little and John Gregory in 251 league games he scored 27 goals he was a diminutive which means short winger with trickery (laughs) he had trickery pace and a quality finish Um, also he's an England one cap wonder He made his debut at 21 against Czech Republic. I also always thought he looked a little bit like Robbie Williams. Can you see that? Yeah, I can actually. Yeah, very much so. I think it's something to do with the kind of hairline for me. Yeah, Um, it's quite Robbie. It is a bit Robbie, yeah. Unfortunately, he lost his place in the team under David O'Leary and he was moved on to Sheffield United for a pretty disastrous spell, frankly. He was dogged by injuries, and he sadly suffered with depression. Um, So he found game time rare and was eventually released. Um, He also had a great spell, or not a very great spell, but I enjoy the fact that he ended up playing for Bandung in Indonesia. Did he? Um, he He became both the first Englishman and player with Premier League experience to play in that country very much trailblazing for the likes of Peter Wingy and Didier Zakora in years that followed. Amazing. Also, on this show, regular listeners will know we love a prank or two. And I read about a prank that he played on the Derby County mascot, Rami, okay. um, which I thought was just a bit, bit mean, really. Basically, right. Rami had gone in for a, a tea, so he'd taken his head off and gone to get a <laughs> cup of tea. Meanwhile, Lee got deep heat out and smeared it all around the inside of his head. Uh, And then the mascot returned and put the head under his arm and made his way out onto the pitch. He emerged from the tunnel uh, and put the head on and obviously was like practically blinded. Poor, like, poor guy. That's horrendous. Very Very inappropriate. Lee was fined and had to dry clean the head. So, oh my um, goodness. fair play. And he now finds himself on Sky, um, on Sky Sports, doing essentially punditry on um, on Saturday, Soccer Saturday. Yeah. Uh, doing quite a good job, to be fair. Yeah, I think he's pretty good, actually, on that. I couldn't help but notice I saw Ian Taylor, the former Aston Villa player, had constructed his perfect Aston Villa player from over the years. So it's one of these deconstructions of the anatomy as the left foot of Steve Staunton and the, the head of Dion Dublin. And he's gone for the engine of Lee Hendry, which I thought was interesting, partly because that's not a part of the body. And also partly because the, the engine arrow appears to be pointing to his left elbow. So I've never known an engine emanate from there, but perhaps Lee Hendry just had a particularly effective left elbow during his playing career. Absolutely. I would think engine needs to be his lungs, probably. Yeah, lungs. That would make so much more sense. He has a great set of lungs. Good old Lee. Maybe we should write to Ian, who I've no doubt has constructed this player on his own Photoshop and and let him know that. But Lee Hendry, great to have him in the side. Feels very into Toto. Um, And another former... Premier League player will be on the other side of the midfield on the right it's Mark Keller do you remember him I think I do was he West Ham he was West Ham well done Arthur I think you remember him better than I do to be honest I just (laughs) kind of I think I got so swept up in my love of Casey Keller that I forgot Mark (laughs) Keller was ever a thing you might be interested to find out he's French The name Mark Keller sounds very English, but he is, in fact, French. Uh, And his Intertoto story starts at Strasbourg. Um, And it is a story because uh, he made 19 appearances in the UA for Intertoto Cup. So he is one of the leading appearance makers since UEFA took over the tournament. Uh, This was in 1995, the inaugural Intertoto Cup run by UEFA. Uh, It also saw English representatives Wimbledon and Tottenham banned from European competition for the following season because both had fielded understrength sides in the Intertoto Cup matches. 
which is well, odd. I yeah, because you get you you don't you apply yes. to join the interstate. Yes, which is really odd. I, that's why I was so confused about it. But uh, the ban was actually lifted on appeal, but instead it was deemed that a suitable punishment would be to make the, the English league forfeit its fair play berth for the ninety six <laughs> UEFA Cup, which is just a weird, weird punishment. Perhaps um, they signed up and didn't realise what a weird competition it was. Yeah. And then once they realised, they were like, oh, no, what have we done? Well, with Wimbledon and Tottenham, little to worry about. Strasbourg took full advantage. They cruised through. Keller scored two goals from right midfield in 4-0 wins against Floriana and Tyrol. Uh, he scored a brace against Vorwarts Steyer, who sounds like a Harry Potter character. And in another 4-0 win, that was in the last 16. Before a win against Mets, set up a final against group stage opponents, Tyrol Innsbruck. Strasbourg went in as heavy favourites, uh, but were held to a 1-1 draw in Austria. The second leg, though, was the Keller show, without doubt. In a 6-1 win, Keller scored a hat-trick in 27 minutes to wrap up the tie and take his side to the UEFA Cup. It, incredible that Keller managed to win the competition, but also to be the star in the final. It kind of felt like he, he'd he rightfully earned his place in this eleven, And his link with the competition would continue. Um, he would play in the Intertoto Cup for West Ham United. Harry Redknapp brought him to the London club in 1998 after he'd marginally missed out on the France 98 World Cup winning squad. He'd actually made the 30-man shortlist um, but had been edged out by others. So really unfortunate. But a 30-year-old Keller was a hit at the Hammers and he helped them to an impressive fifth place finish. Really as a utility player, he would be brought on and play centre midfield one minute, right midfield the next, a, a James Milner type of his day. Um, and he would actually play a pivotal role in the final of the UEFA Intertoto Cup in 1999. His threaded pass to Paolo Di Canio teed him up he crossed for Trevor Sinclair, and that was the opening goal of a 3-1 win, this time again against Mets. Keller's influence on Strasbourg has gone on to this day because Strasbourg found themselves bankrupt very recently. And he, and also a band of fellow investors, which included former Czech Republic coach Ivan Hasak and nine times world rally champion Sebastian Loeb, decided to buy Strasbourg out for 85p. So I presume the investors were more in place for what comes next rather than to help cover that 85p outlay in the in the first instance. I love about the symbolic 85p because I can only assume that must be one euro. Yeah, but I do enjoy the fact yeah. he had to get nine times world rally champion Sebastian Loeb involved to afford that. So um I don't know how Strasbourg are doing now, but hopefully they're on their way back to somewhere around the mid-table of Liga 1 so they can one day play in a newly formed Intertoto Cup again. They don't seem like a particularly strong French side. I think the sides that have done quite well in this competition in the past include Rennes. Uh, Mets have a pretty proud history, I think, in it, actually. Mm. So, um, yeah, Saint-Étienne, I imagine they're quite... Are they quite Intertoto? Were they more if UEFA? anything, they're more UEFA, yeah. I think Gangon would be another, another Intertoto type side. <laughs> I feel that's about right, isn't it? Marseille as well. I think they won it once. And in attacking midfield, it's Hakan Yakin. Oh, man, that is such a great name. I, I absolutely remember him playing for Switzerland. But I don't know much about his club career. Correct. He was a Swiss international. I think... Switzerland's a bit of a melting pot of cultures. There are an estimated 130,000 or so Turkish people living there, or people with Turkish roots. And it's therefore not a particularly big surprise that their national side has included quite a few of Turkish origin. They include Gokhan Inla, uh, Eren Derdiok, and of course, Hakan Yakin. He was a maverick attacking midfielder, renowned for his temperamental nature and a bit of a rock star lifestyle. He was a massive talent, impressing mightily in his homeland with FC Basel and Grasshoppers. In the summer of 2003, he was bought by PSG to replace Ronaldinho, which I think shows his talent, <laughs> wow. uh, only for the French side to cancel the deal after Yakin 
forgot to declare a hernia in his medical. Yeah. So um, it wasn't to work out for him there. His older brother, Murat, was also a talented player, uh, though he was a defender. Both certainly, I would say, enjoyed the best years of their career within the borders of Switzerland. Upon returning to Basel in 2001, Murat would win the league's best player award in 2002, going on to captain the side to three Super Leagues and two Swiss Cups. Uh, and three of these trophies would be shared alongside Hakan, who won the same personal honour in 2003. I wanted to ask what the opinion of a fan was. And so I got in touch with uh, my mate Christian Cher. I've not had it confirmed or denied that he is the brother of Fabian Cher. <laughs> he, he's not, but here he is anyway. He was a real number 10, playing directly behind the two strikers. I mean, he was creative. He was doing these kind of things which you would not expect. He gave fantastic passes to the strikers. And I remember the time when you played together with Christian Jimenez and Julio Hernan Rossi. I mean, that was a, we call it the magic triangle. And uh, at that time, Basel was just playing so offensive and it didn't matter who was playing in Basel. They started from the beginning and just went forward and scored a lot of goals, even against teams like Liverpool or Manchester United. And that was really uh, an unforgettable time. The third very popular family member was actually their mother, Emine uh, Yakin, because she was well known to coming to almost every training in Basel. And uh, she actually did it by bike. So that's, uh, that's also legendary. And uh, <laughs> there's something really special and quite funny. So I absolutely love that story about the mother. I that's think so what cool. commitment. Yeah, I love that so much. And I feel, yeah, the fact that the Yakin brothers were both around at the same time. Actually, they both feel quite into Toto, I think. They, I think they're of they that do. level where they're just a bit above kind of being average, but they're not quite Europe good. Yeah. When he came to mind, I did think he seemed quite Champions league in a sense, because mm. I have weird recollections of his starring in a three-all draw with Liverpool in the 2002 Champions League. He, I think he got three assists that day, all oh, three wow. goals. Uh, so he was an enormously creative outlet. But I did look this up and he only made 12 Champions League appearances in his 522 game career. So certainly not. And also felt Switzerland's quite an intertotally nation yeah, uh, in many is. ways. It's he very actually Channel made five. It is very Channel 5. He made 16 appearances and scored seven goals in the Intertoto Cup with three different Swiss clubs. They were St. Gallen, Young Boys and FC Basel. And he actually won it in 2001. They beat Lee Hendry's Aston Villa in the final. Uh, so that was good to see. I actually met him very briefly. Um, we didn't exchange words. We just exchanged a passing glance. I don't know whether listeners of the show know, but I had a brief career with a team called FC Hard of Zurich. Now they play in the Fußballverband Region Zurich Liga 5, <laughs> Herbstrunde Gruppe 2. Uh, and Murat and Hakan were both in attendance at one of our games. That's I'm amazing. not quite sure why, but maybe they were scouting me. Who That's knows? incredible. How, you, how do you get yourself in these situations? You know, I just head to another country, just got to find a football club. And frankly, the, <laughs> the, level, the level on show was absolutely horrific. And they thought <laughs> I was potentially exotic because I was English. So uh, they picked me and well, I played two games. <laughs> it is Arthur, Arthur Fink. Skips past the challenge of Unsworth. Passell, Henry takes over! What a goal, Lee Henry! Okay, we need two strikers to lead the line. Players that haven't necessarily been incredible in every competition, but have something in particular interesting about their time in the Intertoto Cup. Arthur. Stefan Givash. <laughs> yeah, he was, a, he was a massive flop at Newcastle, wasn't he? He was, and I think he's incredibly unfairly remembered for that. This was 
an imperious goal scorer in France, uh, most particularly for Gangon. Oh, Gangon, of course. <laughs> as well as Rennes and Auxerre. He won um, Ligue 1 with Auxerre in 1996 before returning to Brittany with Rennes, for whom he won Ligue 1's Golden Boot. At a second spell with Auxerre, he retained the Golden Boot in Ligue 1 and also won the Golden Boot for both the 1997 Inter Toto Cup and the UEFA Cup that followed after wow. they qualified. It was an incredible season for him. He scored 46 goals in 53 club matches. Wow. And that earned him a call-up to that 1998 French World Cup squad. In particular, this was a striker who thrived in the Intertoto Cup. He made 18 Intertoto Cup appearances in his career, scoring 18 goals. A goal a game in the Intertoto Cup with Rennes is... and then Auxerre. That is crazy. I Because I knew that he was part of that 98 squad, but I didn't know much about what had got him into that position. I presumed it must have been before the Newcastle phase and perhaps he was scoring well in France, but I didn't know he was that successful. In that 1997 edition of the UI Cup, they, of course, won the Cup. He scored a ridiculous 10 goals in eight games, including five in, an, in a 10-1 away victory against Famagusta, which is phenomenal. They also lost in the final to Stuttgart in 2000. So clearly, Auxerre is a club who has a pretty proud history in the UEFA Intertoto Cup. And as I say, he's a player who is unfairly remembered because of that disastrous period at Newcastle. He was signed by Kenny Dalglish for £3.5 million. Uh, and by the time Givash was, av- was available for selection, Dalglish had been sacked and his replacement, Rude Hullet, wasn't a massive fan of him. There were rumours that his arrival at training with a winner's medal for the, uh, from the summer uh, in the 1998 World Cup made him unpopular. And that he just didn't fit. His face didn't fit with Rude Hullet. Mm-hmm. He went on to play only four games and scored a solitary goal. Uh, after that, he was sold to Rangers. And again, not given a fair crack of the whip. He scored five goals in 14 games as Rangers won the treble under Dick Advocat. I don't understand really why that led to his his swift return to Auxerre. But obviously that season with Auxerre was so brilliant and it earned him a start in the 1998 World Cup final. He actually bizarrely gets criticism for that tournament. He didn't have a good tournament, frankly. Um, he was subbed off in all of the games he started and... The French World Cup winning manager, Aimé Jacquet, basically is at pains to to sort of praise Givash for his performances. He was a pivot, essentially, and didn't score in the tournament, but was a very good hold-up striker. But he does remain seen as a flop, even by the French public. So to win a tournament like that and still be branded a flop is very unfortunate. Since his retirement as a player, he's actually moved back to his hometown of Concarneau mm-hmm. and has become a swimming pool salesman. <laughs> wow, that's a niche role. <laughs> One to add to the list of interesting post-football careers, I think. Yeah, oh, that's wicked. I'll, I guess one thing with Stefan Guivash, despite all the criticism he, he might get, because the Intertoto Cup is now a goner, he can say that during the UEFA era, he will forever be the top scorer in Intertoto Cup history. He scored more goals than any other during that UEFA time. So, um, yeah, worthy of a place in this 11, 100%. Uh, and I'm going to pair him with another player who played in the Premier League, Marcus Allback. Yes, Aston Villa striker. <laughs> yeah. A sweet. For some reason, I remember Marcus Allback as a good striker. I don't know why, but actually looking yeah. back, he was a complete and utter flop at Aston Villa. Really? Yeah. Um, they signed him for two million, which was a lot of money back in 2002. And he was always playing second fiddle during that time to Darius Vassell and Juan Pablo Angel. He only bagged six goals in his 35 games for Villa. And 90minute.com ranked him as one of the, the 25 worst strikers in Premier League history. 
Wow. Mm. That I that feels very unfair to me. I don't it know does... what his record was internationally, but I, I seem to remember him being quite good internationally, was he not? You're absolutely right, Arthur. Yeah, I think whilst a lot of the Villa fans saw him as one of the worst players ever to grace the Villa Park pitch, um, for his nation, Sweden, he was imperious. He scored 30 goals in 74 games. That means he's the seventh highest scorer in all-time history. All-time history. That's a bit weird history. saying, isn't it? Um, but also for Sweden? Or... Yeah, for Sweden. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> he was behind Henrik Larsson and Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but above Johan Elmander and Marcus Berg, if you're trying to kind of rank him in Swedish strikers. But his goals did include one comical one, which I saw on YouTube, uh, a back pass from Ivar Ingemarsson, the former Reading defender for Iceland, who thought the referee had given a free kick for Iceland. He just passed the ball back to the Swedish players and all back put it into the net when the goalkeeper oh. wasn't concentrating. So um, if all of the goals were like that, maybe it's no surprise that he managed to <laughs> get such an impressive haul for his nation. He also looked at home in the Intertoto Cup, to be fair to Marcus Allback. Um, until the age of 26, he played for his local team, Orgite IS, um, which perhaps explains why he was always such a modest and down-to-earth guy off the field and was popular, even if pretty poor, for Villa. He played in all four of Orgite's matches in the 1996 Intertoto Cup, scoring twice, um, but Orgite were unbeaten in that group stage, but went out incredibly unluckily. Um, they failed to qualify, having been denied by a late goal by Wren in their final match, scored by Stefan Guivarch. There we go. What a yeah. guy. <laughs> Orgite returned to the Intertoto in 2001, this time with Heronvain, scoring a hat-trick against Metallurgs of Latvia and another in a third-round defeat to Basel. Um, and despite his best efforts, it would be third time unlucky for Allback when he represented Villa. Um, he scored a rare Villa goal against Zurich, but couldn't help them pass Lille in the semi-finals. But still, when you look back at his time in the Intertoto Cup, that's 10 matches, seven goals. That's a decent ratio for someone who's considered one of the worst Premier League strikers of all time. Exactly. I think we've got a very unfairly maligned strike force here, which is, which is nice to give them their moment in the spotlight. Mm. And I'm delighted as well that you've managed to find a way to shoehorn a Heronvein striker in there. Because as you know, Ben, my favourite kit in football. Yeah. absolutely love their kit. Blue it's and iconic. white stripes with these kind of heart shaped things on them. Mm. Feels very into Toto, that kit, doesn't it? <laughs> Everything about this team feels into Toto. Very Channel 5. <laughs> As we said earlier, one position is always up for grabs on the 11. It's CDM today. And we do have two nominations. So first up is Sebastian from STR, the VFB Stuttgart podcast. I thought, given their proud history in this competition, it would be good to get a German perspective on things. My pick for the defensive midfielder is crystal clear. It is a man who scored 31 goals in 232 games for the VfB Stuttgart. A player who not only won the Intertoto Cup twice, but also played 24 times in the UEFA Cup and 10 times in the Champions League between 2000 and 2008. And even can call himself Deutscher Meister, German champion. It's Silvio Meissner. Born in 1973 in the DDR, he was one of the more experienced players in Stuttgart when the generation of the Jungen Wilden, the Young Wild Ones, was born. He played with Alexander Klepp, Timo Hildebrand, Kevin Korani and Andreas Hinkel. He did the dirty work so that the others could shine. He was an aggressive tackler, had a good long-range shot and was amazingly strong on the header. No wonder, after all, he had been a centre-forward at the beginning of his career. Meissner even played in one of the most legendary games in the club's history, the 2-1 win over Manchester United with Cristiano Ronaldo, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Roy Keane, Paul Scholes and the Neville brothers. Silvio Meissner, a player made for a competition like the Intertoto Cup. Yeah, fantastic mm. nomination. Silvio's name actually did come up in my research. Frankly, I didn't know anything about him, so it's very good to hear some stuff. Wicked. Thank you so much, Sebastian. That is great. And do give VFB Stuttgart podcast a listen. They're ailing in the Bundesliga at the moment, but it's really, really good chat. 
it's very insightful analysis. You might need to learn a bit of German in order to do so, but <laughs> they are there if you'd like to give them a listen. Are they Luke Ailing in the in the Bundesliga? Luke Ailing is really ailing this season. Frankly. Yeah, he is. Anyway, enough about ailing. Let's introduce our next guest. It's Matthew Ketchell. You might know him as Ketch on Twitter. He's the football editor at Reach, uh, and he's also the presenter of a fantastic podcast that we love, Searching for Shinies, the 90s football podcast. Do please check that one out too. Let's see who Ketch is nominated for the CDM spot. I think if you say the word intertoto to a Newcastle fan, you'll probably automatically think of Scott Parker. And the reason for that is Scott Parker uh, led Newcastle to UEFA Intertoto Cup victory in 2006-2007. So what are Newcastle famous for? Not winning trophies. Uh, the last domestic trophy that they won was in 1955. The last major trophy they won was in 1969, the UEFA First Cup. Parker, you know, there's a picture of him holding the uh, UEFA Intertoto Cup certificate in a nice little frame. So technically... He's the last person to win a trophy for Newcastle United. He took over the captaincy from Alan Shearer in his first season, won a trophy. So I'm going to pick Scott Parker. He was, in in a way, the complete midfielder. He would break up play, link defence and midfield and attack. He was a great tackler, great vision, very passionate, gave 100%. Didn't click for him with Newcastle fans. And I, and I think that's a shame. He was only there for two seasons. Uh, he returned to, to London to play for West Ham, played his best football at Tottenham. And he managed to get in the England squad whilst playing in a in a Graham Souness Newcastle side that were just built on mediocrity. So perfect player to slot into um CDM. Scott Parker into Total Cup Legend. Yes, Scott Parker. I love that photo. Have you seen it? I absolutely have. He just looks so miserable. He really it's a does. Certificate. Yeah, it's I a know. Certificate. It's so bizarre. I don't know what it says on that certificate. Well done for making the second qualifying round of the UEFA Cup on Channel 5. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much, Matthew. That is class. Arthur, we need a third name for our poll. Yeah, we do. It's actually another Romanian uh, okay. from a Romanian club. I've gone for Doronel Muntianu. Oh, yeah, he came up a lot when I was looking at stats and stuff. Absolutely. 27 games, eight goals in the UI Cup across spells with FC Köln, Wolfsburg, at which he was a losing finalist, and CFR Cluj, at which he was a losing finalist. He was actually player manager for Cluj in their 2005 mm. campaign when they lost to Lens in the final. Um, having dealt with Athletic Bilbao and Saint-Étienne along the way. There we go. Maybe a bit of a UEFA Intertoto <laughs> Cup name. I just think it's quite an achievement to player manage your way to a final. Uh, it would have been an absolutely fantastic fairy tale ending to his playing career. He's Romania's all-time record appearance maker with 134 caps. Um, he's an incredibly versatile player as well, having played at left back, left midfield, a playmaker and sitting in front of the defence in this in this DM role. And I also just wanted to give a shout out to that last team of the final in 2005. It's got to be one of the best throwback sides I've seen. They had a strike pairing of Daniel Kuzan and Aruna Dindan. Oh, wicked. <laughs> then they had Seydou Keita and Alu Diara in the centre of the That box. sounds good. Yeah, and then Benoit Asuakoto at left-back. Oh, what a wow. team! So, Meisner, Parker, Muntianu, one more name on that poll. Uh, I've been wanting to get this six-foot-four behemoth of a midfielder into an 11 for a while. It's Christian Basilla. <laughs> Basilla. Sunderland. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> his size made him useful as a centre-back as well as a midfielder. Um, he was a battering ram, but with limited capability on the ball. Uh, and you're quite right, Arthur. He played 13 times for Sunderland in 2005, um, often injured, pretty clumsy. And Sunderland went down that year with just 15 points, which is the second lowest ever Premier League points total behind Derby's 11. But he did win the Intertoto Cup in 1997 so I've managed to get him in he won it with Leon he was playing in 1997 yeah That's he was incredible. a youngster he was a youngster playing with Leon um, and he used to play in a number of positions for them 
um, again, quite versatile at a young age. He scored as well um, on Wren's journey to the 1999 Intertoto Cup final, playing as a holding midfielder uh, in a team that featured El Juf, Shabani Nonda, and a player oh. you might uh, remember fondly, Arthur, Fabrice Fernandez. Oh, he was one of my favourites, Fabrice. Uh, what a player. So Christian Basilla, I feel like, is someone who whose career started very promisingly with Intertoto Cup Triumph and then fell off a cliff. So let's just give him his moment in the sunshine now and try and get him into this side, shall we? Uh, head over to Twitter, at 11pod. It's the word, not the number. You can choose who the final position is given to in our 11. Kanchelskis. Just over Wallace's head. It comes to Gibas. He's done it again. His second of the game. As always, a few players that narrowly missed out. I want to throw in Aldo Ducher on the bench. Uh, famously injured David Beckham before the World Cup. He played for Deportivo. And Martin Jetu who was also part of that Strasbourg side that won the inaugural competition and went on to play for Fulham. Love that. I wanted to just quickly give a shout out to Southampton's current assistant manager, Richard Kitzbickler, who <laughs> played who played 19 times in the Intertoto Cup, scoring five goals for Innsbruck and Salzburg. Incredibly impressive. I had no idea he had this, this productive European football career. What a bench that is. Um, but let's run through the starting lineup of your Intertoto 11. In goal, Jose Manuel Pinto. At left back, Alan Roos. Centre backs, Radislav Kovac and Alan Goma, with a right back, Guy Demel. Centre defensive mid, you decide that one. Uh, the left midfield, Lee Hendry. Right midfield, Mark Keller. Attacking midfield, Hakan Yakin. And up front, Stefan Guivarch and Marcus Allback. Thanks for listening to this utterly pointless episode about an utterly pointless competition. <laughs> what a way to finish.